This week on Finding Strength, we have something really special we want to give to you guys. Um, but first, I want to talk about Tenny's Pizza, our longtime and amazing sponsor. One of the things that has attracted me to Tenny's, besides the fact that um, they have delicious, delicious food, is the fact that Tenny's is a small local business. When you go get your pizza from the other big chain guys, you're not supporting a company that gives back to its community. A couple things Tenny's Pizza has done over the years and continues to do. I actually go and um, work the ovens with uh, my wife who works there and with Levi, the owner of Saratoga, and Kevin, the owner of Saratoga, who you've heard on here, and the Saratoga Springs uh, store. And we'll go and make pizzas on uh, a weekend and we'll go deliver them to a firehouse. Um, this is all out of the Tenny's Pizza pocket, right? Just straight charity. No um, return on that investment whatsoever. They're just doing it because they're good dudes, good people. We bring them to the firefighters. We've brought them to assisted living facilities. They've done that a bunch of different times. They have extra food. They donate it, right? This is This is a company that gives back. And so we're asking you guys to support a company that gives back. They have also given us an awesome opportunity for our listeners. If you go on the app and use the code podcast, you get a specialty pizza for only nine bucks. So give Tenny's Pizza a try, support local business, and support businesses that actually give to people rather than just take. Tenny's is definitely about giving, and that's why we're so grateful for them and the support they give to us. So support them. This week... We have Drew Manning. You may know him as that fit-to-fat-to-fit guy. He is a friend of ours. He is a stud. He gets into some really, really awesome stuff in this episode that I'm super excited for you guys to hear. So I'm not going to mess around. I'm just going to jump right into it so you guys can get to the good stuff without any delay. Here he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Drew Manning on the Finding Strength Podcast. Hi, welcome back to the Finding Strength Podcast. We're back. This is Bethany, Matt. And we have a friend with us. Oh my gosh, guys. This is like... Um, oh, I feel like we're in like... What's the word? Like Celebrityville. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are funny. <laughs> we're so, here with our good friend, Drew Manning. Yes. Some of you may know him as Fit to Fat to Fit. We just like to call him Drew. Yeah. We don't... Yes, I prefer that. <laughs> just call me Drew. It's not like Celebrityville or whatever it's called. It's Drew's house. Drew. No, it is funny because me and Matt were just saying, I'm like, because we'll hang out and just chill. And I don't think anything. I forget all the things you've done. I'm like, oh, yeah, he like wrote a bestseller and he's like on TV and has all these famous friends. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you hang out with us. I'm still Jenny from the block. Though. So, <laughs> I know, I know. But we walked into this because we're in Drew's like theater room downstairs. We walk in here, and he's like, "Yeah, oh, we, last time I recorded in here was like with uh, 
with J.P. Sears. Do you guys know who that is? And I was like, J.P. Sears, I freaking love that, dude. You know him? He's like, yeah, we're bros. We're homies. I was like, oh, shoot. She was legit. I forgot how legit you were. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for having the time for us. Yeah. what we usually start with is kind of letting people know just a little bit about you. Sure. So, you know, yes, you're fit to fat to fit. Yeah. But you're way more than that. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit, like, where'd you grow up? How big's your family? That just a quick synopsis. Yeah, that kind of background is super easy. I grew up in San Diego, San Diego, California until I was 13. Grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters, eight boys, three girls. I was number seven. Uh, we all played sports. I'm number seven. You're number seven, too. Oh. That's a lucky number seven. Yeah. Wait, real quick. <laughs> what part of San Diego did you grow up in? Uh, Rancho Penasquitos. Are you serious? Yes. I grew up in Rancho Penasquitos. You did? How have we never talked about this? Black Mountain Middle School. Did I went to Black, Black Mountain, Mountain Middle School. Middle School? What? Were you, were what you the freak is happening right now? <laughs> Who are you? Wait, were you that one guy that one? That no, dude. That that's crazy. Quirky little that weirdo. is crazy. How old yeah. are you? I'm I'm 35. Okay, so you're a couple years younger. So yeah. Maybe I crazy. I, hopefully, I didn't pick on you. Or, no, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I, was I nice. wasn't really pick onable. I was kind of an asshole. As really? A child. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, I was. I was. That's a good crazy. Kid. Yeah, Penny that That's funny, a, man. That's quite the hood, man. No, just kidding. No, P- PQ is awesome. I loved growing up there. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but that's no, wild. no worries. Good memories there. Yeah. Um, I don't know why my parents moved. We moved to Virginia after that, and then grew up the second half of my life in Virginia. Went to high school, college out in Virginia, um, and then from since then I've lived in Illinois. Utah and Hawaii, and then back to Utah. So been around the block a little bit. My dad's originally from Hawaii. That's why I moved out there, and he's born and raised out there, and his side of the family's from there. My mom's family's from California. And so, um, and then it's funny because all ki- all 11 of his kids were all spread out from Hawaii to California to Utah to Texas to Florida, Virginia. We're all right. over the place. So we're kind of taking over the, the world. Over <laughs> Just the world. kidding. That's hilarious. That's so I grew up with a family of 10. Mm-hmm. How was that? And funny enough, we I'm from California, <clears throat> but I'm from Burbank. Okay. And we moved to That's Utah <laughs> when good. I was 12. <laughs> wow. So kind of same. We lived down there about, well, you're 37? Yeah, 37. So we, I bet you were San Diegan. Yeah. I was in L.A. Way better than Burbank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, way San better. I would take San Diego any day of the week. <laughs> Um, yeah. How was it? What was it like growing up in a big family? You know, what? it's it's interesting because you don't know any different. So that's mm-hmm. like your norm. And um, looking back, it was it was a lot of fun because you had all you always had someone to play with. It was always busy. There's always someone there, and we were we entertained ourselves. We didn't grow up rich or like super poor, but like I remember we would like <laughs> come up with the funnest games in the house just to entertain us. We would like climb up on on couches and like turn the couch like upside down or on its side. And sometimes we had those. Uh, foldable mattresses, you know those ones that are like that fold out uh, the the from a couch to a bed. Yeah, oh, and we yeah. would tuck each other in there and like fold the other person inside of there like a sandwich. And one time, my my brother's friend got stuck for like an what? hour and we couldn't get him out. And my dad came home so pissed off and used had to use some tools to get him out. And he was like crying in there. I was like traumatized. <laughs> my brother was feeding him food through the little hole. Like, <laughs> so like we had to come up with the craziest stuff to entertain ourselves. We turned the backyard into, do you remember that video game from Nintendo, Excite Bike? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we turned our backyard into like an Excite Bike 
course, and we would have our um, remote control cars uh, just making. And I don't know why my mom let us do that. And we were so poor uh, that to we, keep her sanity. we didn't have what's right. that to keep her sanity. She's <laughs> like, please go outside. Yes, exactly. And so one time we also um, we didn't have money for a basketball hoop. So what we did is we took a, a big uh, bucket for laundry detergent. We cut out the top and that, and we nailed that to a post in our backyard. And that was our basketball hoop with no net, just That's <laughs> just a awesome. circular thing. And we would play pig and horse. And so there was, there was upsides and downsides. The downside now that I'm older and can look back on it is like we didn't get that one-on-one attention, right? Yeah. It was just, you're one of the many, and I get it. I mean, my parents were probably in survival mode their whole life. Like, how do we get through the day? How do I get these kids fed and off to school? And that's all that we focus on. So there was no, like, one-on-one attention. Like, Drew, how are you feeling today? Like, how are you doing? You know, you doing okay? Yeah. It was like, there was none of that. So I always say, like, <clears throat> with my siblings, that I was probably raised by my brothers and sisters as much as my parents. Yeah. Just because you kind of just took care of each other, which is really cool. I mean, it's something like sometimes I, I mean, I have a lot of kids, but sometimes I think, oh, these kids, they don't they don't get they don't see like what we had to deal with. Because when you come from these huge families, even if you have some money, you don't have money Yeah, (laughs) because there's so many kids to feed and so many kids to clothe and put in sports or whatever. It's so expensive that you just you can't have everything. And it's a really healthy lifestyle. I always say now, I'm like, which just sounds so bratty, but I don't think most of my siblings listen to this, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, the nice thing about having such a huge family is if some of them are bugging me, I just hang out with the other ones. It's so true. You pick and choose who you want to hang out with. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. Like we were all, you think we'd be really close, but we're, we're, um, when it comes to the, the hard conversations, we didn't grow up like knowing how to navigate those waters. So like confrontation, we just do you think fought. that's like a generational thing? Because my family's be, that, that way too. It could be a generational thing for sure. Um, and you know, it is because looking at how my parents were raised, like I don't blame them for anything because I see how they were raised now. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah. Like when you, <laughs> you know? think about your grandparents, you're like, oh, you, you did pretty good. Yeah. Good job. Exactly. Like they were just doing the best they could with what they had. Um, and so that helps me, helps me to have more respect and more empathy for, for them. Even though as a kid, you, I think you need that one-on-one attention, right. From your parents. Yeah. Like you can't, like we probably can't imagine not giving our kids that one-on-one attention, Totally, you know? So in a way I'm grateful for it because it's caused me to be more aware of what I want to be as a father now. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, well, and you, you realize too, that it's, it's harder than you thought it was. 100%. Even like with was, two kids. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, I've got six kids and I think. It's Kevin and I have to, it takes some serious effort to be like, okay, you take this one to the jazz game. I'm going to take this one here. And so it's just hard. And so you recognize like, yeah, 10 kids and that many years ago. Yeah. That's 11 kids. That's, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you've got, you grow up mostly Virginia as a teenager and whatnot. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Um, went to three different colleges. So right after high school, I went to a D2 school in West Virginia to play football. Then I went on LDS mission. And then I came back and went to um, Snow College for a year here in Utah to junior college. And then I graduated from Southern Virginia University. So I was all over the place. <laughs> Dang, you've been freaking traveling the world since day one, man. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. World traveler. So you go to college, leave college. Then, so <clears throat> I, my curiosity is more like, well, I guess what did you graduate in? 
business management. Business management. And then how did you kind of find like the health and fitness world? What's your journey like to get to where you're at now? Yeah. Well, first of all, I've always been in health and fitness. Like my older brothers played football and I thought they were like the like the coolest badasses. I'm like, I want to be like those guys. Mm-hmm. They had muscles. They were working out. And I'm like, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be like that. So where do you fall in birth order? What number? He's number seven. Seven. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Seven. Yeah. And so I started lifting weights and like always wanted to like be strong. And so um, it, it's always been there, right? It's always been the thing. So I excelled at sports, like in football and wrestling in high school and college. Like I did really good in in both both those sports. You know, I got third in state for wrestling and was like an all state uh, linebacker um, at my high school. And then uh, college did did good as well. And then um, so I, it's always been there. And I, I remember when I got married, I was like, I don't want to be that guy that lets himself go because i see like yeah. my friends oh, yeah. I'm like dude you've been married two years and you've gained yeah. like 50 pounds yeah. <laughs> like yeah i don't need to impress anyone i'm like wow hey, i just can't do that kevin gained like 30 pounds and i was so grateful i was like you skinny little beggar gain some freaking weight no joke <laughs> that's so funny but um uh it's always been there so like what happened was i graduated college went into finance actually I was a financial analyst for Chrysler, uh, worked for Chrysler for three years, took a buyout package during the bankruptcy of the auto industry and just like the, the economy, 2008, 2009, moved to Utah, which is where uh, my ex-wife, her family was from. You know, we figured the economy was better in Utah than the Midwest, which is, uh, we were in Illinois at the time. And so we moved to Utah. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got three years uh, with, with a Fortune 500 company under my belt. I'll be able to find a job easy. Eight months, tons of interviews, no no job and so I'm like well I gotta I gotta find like what am I passionate about I'm like well I've always been into health and fitness why not get certified as a trainer so I'm like all right so I did it and started training clients on the side but then did a complete 180 and went from uh, the finance industry to the medical field (laughs) through a connection of a friend and of a friend and kind of got the job that way and I went uh, to um, some training, uh, and that's all you had to do. You had to have a bachelor's degree and go through the, the company's training and got a job in the medical field. Still took on clients part-time, though, during this time. And then fit 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 happened. And then... What? Start... <laughs> what? what like, at what point in your head are you like, I'm going to go gain... 60 pounds? <clears throat> 75. 75 pounds. Like to me. <laughs> come on. Like, you just oh my gosh. <laughs> like when I have a baby, I gain like 30 pounds and yeah. it, I have to wrap my head around it like, okay, it's, it's going to come out. So it's yeah. fine. But no way. No freaking <laughs> way. If you, yeah. <clears throat> I think someone asked me one time what it would cost for me to like just be sedentary and gain a bunch of weight. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. It would ruin, mentally, it would ruin me. And that's what the big surprise was. So, yeah, I did. The thing that triggered it was, you know, I grew up my entire life in shape, right? Playing sports my entire life. And then here I was trying to help people who were overweight. And I'm like, it's so easy. Here's the meal plans. Here's the workouts. And you, boom, you, you just, just freaking do it. You just do it. Yep. You know, like, why is it so hard? Yep. And uh, I didn't have a lot of empathy back then or understanding. And so they would tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand. Like, I would get frustrated at them. Like, dude, why do you keep messing up? Like, here's your meal plan. Stop eating the junk food. And, you know, they're like, you don't, you don't understand how hard it is. And I'm like, you're right, I don't. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it started the process of thinking, like, okay, what can I do? What, how, can I, how can I be a better trainer? Like, what would teach me? And this idea was like one of those lightning bolt moments where I'm like, okay, boom. Like, th- why am I being, like, why does this feel like a good idea? And so, so you just thought one day you're like, I'm, you all are like, I, you don't understand, you don't understand, so I'm going to understand. Exactly. And then when this idea popped up in my head, I was like, 
like you know how sometimes we have like ideas like as in like an entrepreneur or a business owner you're like wow that's a great idea or an invention oh kevin says it every day <laughs> yeah all the that's time. an awesome idea but there's one idea that you're like okay this is legit like this is really gonna work yeah. right and so that was one of those moments with fit to fit to fit i felt like i was being called to do it and so that's why i felt like i i was like okay this is gonna happen so i did it and you know what way- happened? So at the time you're married. Yes. What was her thought when you said, I'm going to gain 75 <laughs> pounds and do nothing? She was all for it because really? one, she was pregnant. So she was like, and oh, I was more, of the, I was more yeah. of the health nut. So she's like, you're telling me we're going to have junk food in the house. <laughs> we have donuts. And like, she's, she's like, still- yes, please do it. But she also saw me like I, I, the, the, one of my clients was her brother-in-law and she saw me with him. Like you get so frustrated at him. You don't understand. And, and I was like super health nut where I'm like. I don't eat carrots. It's too many carbs, you know, like kind of that, that kind of guy, you know, like just like yeah, super. I know, Drew. <laughs> I know exactly who you are. <laughs> so uh, she's like, I think you should definitely do it. You know, the only person that didn't want me to do it was my, was my mom and um, my ex-mother-in-law. Those are the, the, the two mom. They were nervous. People were like, you know, your health and, you know, I'm like, eh, I'll be all right. <laughs> but no regrets. Way harder than I thought it would be. Very humbling. Um, you know, learned a lot of valuable lessons, especially on the mental and emotional side, right? Yeah. I didn't understand why it was so hard. And like having gone, gone through this for six months of eating this way, like I see how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And it helped me to be more empathetic and have uh, more respect and a better understanding of what people go through. And that's where my brand took off and um, kind of how I, you know, how I, I got to where I am today. But, you know, my brand's built on that that empathy and that respect, which is different for the fitness industry because most people in the fitness industry are like, hey, macros, calories, workouts, like the physical aspect of weight loss. And I think we all get it. We all know we need to eat healthy and exercise. But how do you get someone to change their lifestyle and, and maintain it, right? And a lot of it has to do with, like, self-worth and how, their perception of how they see themselves. And it's so much more mental and emotional, spiritual, than it is just a physical journey, Right. Because if it was just physical, everyone could do everyone it. Yeah, do eat it. less and work out. Okay. we Seriously, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really not that hard. Yeah. Like, uh, mm. if I always say, I'm like, if just eating less or eating <laughs> not, and if I could just say I'm just not going to eat and get yeah. skinny, it does not work that way. It's, yeah. anyways. But I was going to say, when you're talking, I was thinking, we talked to a lot of people on our podcast about addiction. Yeah. And I think what one thing people don't ever want to admit is these food addictions, which is huge. Yeah, yeah. Like I am straight up have been a sugar addict Yeah, and I, people don't believe me, but I'm like, I feel like mm. sugar is worse than <laughs> so many of the other things I consume. Yeah. Like it controls you. Yeah. I think the problem is that food is legal and we mm. see it everywhere we go. It's on TV commercials in the grocery store. We smell everyone's eating and having a good time. I mean, imagine if a cocaine addict or heroin addict had to go through Walmart to get their food and there's cocaine and heroin right there where the gum section is. Like, they had to see it every single day and they got to see these people that didn't have addictions to it get to do it and be be fine. Like, like yeah, it was a big deal. I just limit myself, everything in moderation, you know? I mean, it, it really is that addictive, you know? And that's the thing is, like, we all have our own addictions And I think people sometimes underestimate the emotional attachment to these addictions. And they think, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, you went, like, most of us wouldn't go up to a drug addict and be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Just stop doing drugs. It's not that hard, right? It's the Mm -hmm. same thing with food addiction. We went, some some, some of us do do that. We're judgmental, but it's almost the same thing. Like, like why are we so judgmental towards people with food addiction, but like, you know, have sympathy and empathy for, for those with drug addictions? 
when it's just as addictive. <laughs> totally. And the, the hard thing I think with, um, cause, cause I do end up with clients with big time emotional eating as like the addiction thing. Yeah. And I think the hard thing for people to wrap their heads around is that we, we like the survival part of our brain attaches to whatever it is that brings us comfort and like soothes us. And yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. And, and it's really easy for it to be food because food is very soothing and it's super duper tapped into like this primitive part of who we are. Yeah. Just like op- over time through evolution, we have evolved to become a, a species that relies almost entirely on carbohydrates yeah. to fuel itself. I mean, that's just what's happened because of the nature of the type of food that we eat nowadays, yeah. right? And so going back to like what's a, a healthier, more effective mentally... <clears throat> Uh, mental health supporting type diet where yeah. you know you're you're eating your healthy fats you're yeah. you're getting a, the right macronutrients in your diet is very difficult to go back to because that's just not how things are geared nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> we live in a society of convenience and the food I mean companies spend millions of dollars on on food scientists that flavor things knowing how addictive this is going to be uh in in the brain to the brain to the to the average consumer and it's super. It's it's hyper palatable foods that, you know, they are addictive, and and we are a society of convenience, and we've kind of we've kind of created this monster, and now we're stuck. We're like, okay, well, we've done this. We made, like the food industry made a ton of money creating these these cheap, easy, processed foods, but now look at our healthcare system. You know, uh, I ever I heard a crazy statistic. You know, um, the average person uh, that has type two diabetes, it's fourteen thousand dollars a year you know, for their medications, for healthcare coverage, just one person. And now you get people in their teens, 20s, and 30s with diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We can't maintain that. Like, mm-hmm. I think by 2040, we'll have more, we'll spend more money on healthcare than, uh, you know, military and education combined. And so it's like, what are we, how are we going to stop so this? And it's so fixable. It is so fixable. That's what and, not, and not only that, like, our, the thing is, is our fix as a society for things these days isn't to go to the root of the problem, which is this emotional component like yeah. you're talking about, yep. Drew. It's like, hey, I'm going to go to my doctor and my doctor is going to give me fentramine, mm-hmm. right? Or some medication and then, or I'm going to go get gastric mm-hmm. bypass surgery yeah. or, or a sleeve, like a gastric sleeve. And so then my problems are going to be fixed for me. <laughs> like, temporary solution. We're putting right, that's, that's what band-aids we do. on bullet holes. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, even with addiction, it's the same thing. Like that's, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like in, in my world, the world of addiction, like people are like, well, we need to, focused on medication-assisted treatment, right? Mm-hmm. There's these drugs that are being developed by the same freaking drug companies. <laughs> oh, like heroin. That's yeah. just a just smaller saw... form of heroin. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right? And, and that's what... That, I just I saw mean, a commercial for this. Right? That's what's <laughs> happening. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling yeah. that that's what we as a society have decided. Like, I can't fix myself, so I'm going to rely on this other substance to fix me. Yeah. Wasn't that what I was doing in the first place anyways, by emotionally eating and numbing? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So here's my question, Drew. What, so you're pretty, you've been very successful at helping people lose weight and helping people change their lives. Yeah. How do we fix, what are some of these mental things we can do? Because I feel like, so I'll be honest, I, I did the, I was, I certified in nutrition Mm -hmm. and I used to do meal plans for people. And honestly, the thing I couldn't handle was not doing the meal plans. It was the emotional strain. Yeah. Like it is really hard to <clears throat> to I wasn't good at telling someone, okay, eat this, eat this, eat this. I was great at that. I was great at exercising. Exactly yeah. what we've said. 
But then when they couldn't follow it, when I'm like, you can't follow one day, <laughs> you, you couldn't eat what I told you. It was one day. Yeah. That is a mental, something isn't connecting. Yeah. How do you fix that? How do people go about fixing that? Yeah. And this is where the, the answer to that question is very, very complicated and it's yeah. very individual, right? Cause each person, um, uh, you know, I wish it was a one size fits all approach. And this is where something that I preach, which is different, um, you know, comes down to the mental, emotional, spiritual side, which a lot of people, lot of people are like, what are you talking about? You know, when I see people that are, have a good relationship with themselves, they're in a good place emotionally and spiritually, and they have self-worth, then they start to change their perception of what food is for them and their relationship with food. And they, they love who they are. And they, when, when you love who you are, you treat yourself differently than when you don't like who you are. And you're just trying to get through the day and you're surviving. So it's not enough to give people meal plans and, mm-hmm. and workouts. A lot of it, I think, in the future, it's going to look more like a complete, uh, uh, you know, a complete guide to like help a wellness people program. Like a wellness program, yeah, right? right? Not just cool, physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, yeah. where you have all these tools to help people. And the physical transformation then at that point just becomes a byproduct. Like It just happens. You know, it just happens over time. Instead of like a results driven process of like, I'm going to lose this much weight, but still hate myself. <laughs> We're getting rid of that. We're working on the mental, emotional, spiritual, the physical will follow in the end. And that's where I see people truly transforming. And then their relationship with food is totally transformed, but it's not as simple as like, okay, just, just do this and it'll, it'll be fixed. You can't just give them like a drug or a pill to take and their, their mental and emotional and spiritual issues are all fixed overnight. It's going to take oh, a lot t- of time. That's, That's like, I, we used to watch, we watched Biggest Loser for years, yeah. right? <laughs> Loved it. I was yeah. like, oh, this is so awesome. <laughs> All these people are losing hundreds of pounds in this short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, all those people gained it back. Gained the way back. And yep. that was such an eye-opening thing for me because I'm like, this isn't just eat right, lose the weight, and then it just stays. stays yeah. it's, it's easy now. Yeah. Maintenance, because <clears throat> I used to always be like, oh, <clears throat> maintenance is easy. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. got to lose the weight. But yeah, if you aren't, mentally in the right place yeah. and like you said spiritually emotionally that's it's it doesn't matter it's not gonna last no because all these people what i've recognized is they still see themselves as fat yeah right like mm-hmm. they lost 200 pounds but the way they look at themselves in the mirror it's yeah. that same person that was huge right i, I think yes and i think that's what happens when we focus just on results like you know for for only focus on results then it doesn't matter how they get there they think you know if i get there i'll be happy and then they get there and they're like, wait a second, something's still missing. I'm like, I'm not happy, you know? And they realize there's more to this process than just getting to a certain point with your weight and being done. There is no finish line. It's something you, you're constantly going to have to battle with the rest of your life. Just like any like emotional or spiritual issue, it's not like you pray once and you're done, you know, or go to church once and like, all right, I arrived, I'm done, you know? It's, it, there's a parallel to, between the physical and the spiritual. And I think a lot of people are missing that component because their perception of health and fitness is just this 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 thing that's been fed to them over the years of like you know uh, bodybuilding magazines and weight loss TV shows and like well that's what health and fitness is I need to look like that Instagram model or that celebrity and that's what healthy is but I'm trying you know I'm hating myself to skinny and I'm trying all these diets that are out there but in reality you know they're missing the whole point their their perception of health and fitness needs to be changed and that's what my hope that's what I'm trying to do is get people to change their perception of what health and fitness really is it's this it's something bigger than just you know a 30 day diet program. That's so like parallels a lot of what, what I'm doing day in and day out with these people who are mm-hmm. severely traumatized. Like 
One of my favorite um, things to talk about is this idea of achievement versus fulfillment, which is like a Tony Robbins thing, Mm -hmm. where if we're so geared towards finding what, like results or reaching this marker or getting to a certain place where I'm finally fixed, I'm never going to get there. That's always going to be out of reach, and that's achievement, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's results-based, whereas... If I can understand that I can achieve contentment, which is what I like to call it, or fulfillment, as Tony Robbins calls it, at any given time, in any given moment, I'm no longer reaching for these great moments of euphoria or trying to find achievement or trying to reach some certain place. Instead, I can find what I need within me at any given moment. Yeah. And that is is a key component to not just weight loss, but like wellness, like you talk about, holistic lifestyle, just being a human being trying to make it through difficult times. And if, if people can wrap their heads around this idea, they're like, if I go eat this thing or try this thing or do this thing and that's what's going to fix me and instead pull back into like, what do I have already within me that's enough? Yeah. It changes the landscape of how we view ourselves. Yeah. And that sounds exactly like what you're talking about. Yeah, 100%. It's just, you know, how do you get people to change their perception? You know, and I think I think our generation is starting to do that, where we're oh, starting totally to be more uh, awake. aware. Yeah, awake, aware. Like Woke. we're waking up. There's a big awakening. Well, like, I feel so like you're talking when you talk about mental. <clears throat> let's see, you said mental, spiritual, emotional, emotional, physical, and physical. Yeah. So we're gonna kick out the physical for a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's go mental because that's like us. Yes. Yeah. Mental, spiritual, and emotional. I remember thinking um, growing up, and even as like you know, twenties and thirties, I've. I'm kind of like you. I've played sports my whole life. I've always been into fitness. I taught, started teaching aerobics when I was like 15 <laughs> years old. Like I've always loved it. Yeah. But there's certain things that I thought I had and I didn't realize I didn't have them. Yeah. Like I always thought I'm spiritual. I go to church every Sunday. Yeah. I do. I check those boxes and I mark them off and I'm, I'm doing great. Or mentally I'm good. Yeah. Like I'm not taking drugs. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing really good. And the reality was I, I wasn't, and I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize spirituality wasn't me going to church every week. Yeah. It was me learning who I was yeah. and learning what was important to me, not what's important to my husband mm-hmm. or my kids or my community. It's like, what do I actually care about and who am I? And I think that's completely different than, like I always say on here, I always say like, Religion and spirit, spiritual or spirituality, yeah. are not the same thing. Yeah, 100%. they're they're separate. They can go together, mm-hmm. but they are separate things. Yeah, and I think religion is very similar. Our perception of it was, was is different than than what we're finding out. It, you know, it, it looks like for us today, right? So we were taught, like you know, uh, for me personally, growing up in the church, like um, my perception of religion was was a certain thing, and it was like, okay, this is what you do. This is how you're supposed to be, and then it all works out, right? But now I'm starting to learn a different, you know, a different perception of religion, where I feel like it's a healthier perception of where I'm at now in spirituality, and I see things differently. I think a lot of people are, are changing their perception, and that's what I think needs to happen with with the physical fitness as well, or their emotional health, and like see how all this ties together, right? You can't just focus on one area and expect that to solve all your other problems. Like you can't just focus on having a good body and expect, oh. That'll carry over and I'll be successfully... Yeah. Once I'm skinny, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nope. <laughs> and I'll be successful and be financially successful. And then I'll be super spiritual. My life will just be work out perfectly. I wish it was that easy. But it's not like you have to get, uh, you know, focus on all these aspects. And there's 
it's a lot more work than people think it is. But man, if we could just start with changing our perception of like, maybe it's not this, maybe if I change my perception, like I can see it through new eyes and it'll make more sense to me that way. Right. Versus, so what's something yeah. meant? So let's, let's go mental. Sure. Yeah. Um, what is something let's people can do? Let's get mental. <laughs> let's get mental. <laughs> that sounded awful. <laughs> let's get mental. Like, cause yeah. I, people need to be like, it helps to kind of put them in the right direction. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think with, with mental health, it's yeah. when it's coming to weight loss yeah. or even just liking yourself. Cause it's yeah. like, like you said, when people are like, I hated myself to be, to, to skinny. It's like, yeah. that doesn't work. <laughs> but what yeah. are some mental things we can just start to work on or work towards to get to that healthy state of, you know, yeah. body self, healthy body image. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question. I'll tell you what worked for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I was in shape before all this, right. I've always been in shape, but now that I'm in a different shape, like, like or physically I'm about the same, but like I see myself through different eyes now. I think what helped me, uh, was, was develop a stronger relationship with myself. Right. Cause I did hate myself to not skinny, but like fit back in the day. I was like, oh, I need to discipline myself more to look this way so people like me, so I'll like myself. Um, But what helped me, I think, was being open to new ideas and getting out of my comfort zone of like the same old, same old. And so like doing fit, fit, fit was something out of my comfort zone. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying everyone needs to do that, but trying something new where I'm like, okay, I'm putting myself in someone else's shoes kind of and and seeing things from a different perspective really opened up my eyes and created this strong experience because I think experiences shape your beliefs. And if you don't have certain experiences or uh, your beliefs are based on your, you've ex- your experiences you've had so far. Yeah. So try and have new experiences, right. Um, that will challenge, uh, the way you look at things. Right. And so, um, you know, for example, like with my journey, meditation really helped me out a ton. Positive affirmations as crazy and silly as that sounds. Cause I still think of, Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live. You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And oh, gosh I darn it, people it. like me. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Kind of people I like totally me. forgot about that. I yeah. always think of that, but I still do it. And man, I remember the first time I started doing positive affirmations where I said positive things out loud to myself. I would get chills and I would get emotional. Like saying, I love you. Like looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. Like that's really powerful. Like a lot of men probably will never do that in their lifetime. And a really powerful thing you know doing on a consistent basis i think those kinds of things helped me uh develop a a relationship of self-love and i know that that seems weak in our society as a man but for me man there's nothing stronger than that than being a strong person knowing who you are and loving who you are because then you're pouring from a full cup now and you can give to other relationships so much more um and so i think that uh, those three things Positive affirmations, meditation, and the other thing I would say is a gratitude list of just writing down things you're grateful for every single day. It forces your brain to start to think of like, okay, I am grateful for, you know, a chair. Uh, <laughs> like it feels good to sit down. Yeah. Or like the small things that we take for granted all the time. One of the I things that, that you said that really resonated with me was um, that there's this perception that if if men say that they love or love themselves, that that... that seems like weakness yeah and that is so unbelievably apparent in just the social construct of of what being a man is and as i've done my own like self-reflection and and work to figure out like what my core values are i've come to find that my very center core value is love 100 percent, and it's it's about giving that and showing that 
to myself first mm-hmm. and so that I can then let that resonate from who I am out into the world and people can feel that. Yeah. And when I, when that clicked in my head at my, my it's almost like my eyes were open and like the world changed, yeah. you know? And, and I, I love this idea and I, I think, I think we, I mean, kind of challenge some of the listeners out there, like go, go do some of these self-affirmation things yeah. that Drew's talking about. Dude, the first time I ever right? did this self-affirmation, yeah. I'd heard of it, but I'd yeah. never done it. <laughs> we went, it was when we went to Tony Robbins. Yeah. And I remember we're sitting there and he has you write down some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I shouldn't say sitting. We were standing for eight hours. He's like, yeah. don't sit down. I'm not sitting down. <laughs> if you don't sit down. I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> and he, he made us write down something that we were going to love about ourselves and say, and you had to yell it out loud. Yeah. And it was wow. so emotional. Yeah. Like, just like you said, and I remember Kevin was standing next to me doing it too, and both of us were crying because it was yeah. like, we'd never talk to ourselves no. like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's supposedly, it's like weird to do, right? Like, yeah. to tell yourself nice things, like, what, what, when did that become weird? Like, why is that? I get that it might be uncomfortable because it's not like something you do every day. Yeah. Or but, maybe, and you're I mean, surrounded you by people. You don't like, need yeah. to do it with people around, like, me and Drew are hanging out, and I'm like, I'm awesome. <laughs> Good job, Bethany. Like, <laughs> there's a time and a place. Yeah, for sure. I just think it, you know it, it's really powerful. Like even just by yourself, you know, it, yeah. for me it was really powerful. But yelling it, you know, like we, we're not taught to do those kinds of no. things. It's weird. It's mm-hmm. it's it's different. Same thing with meditation in our Western society. That's the thing. Is like our perception is based on the experiences we've had so far, right? And we grew up in 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 the 21st century in America, and you know, we only know what we know. And so, like, meditation has been around for how long, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's full, dude. I know. Exactly. We talk about this on the couple podcasts. Like, exactly. Because everyone we talk to is like, yeah. we're like, how, what has helped you? Meditate, meditate, meditate. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, meditating? We're just getting around to it now. We're like, okay, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of mainstream. People are doing it now. Tony well, Robbins. Well, used to think it's like Arnold. Buddhism and you're like, I got to go meditate for hours. Yeah. It's like, exactly. well, actually, oh. like, five minutes <laughs> of, like, yourself. good self-talk well, or gratitude. Yeah. And it's a rad like, meditation technique, too, that that I love is writing yeah mm-hmm. with my hand like with a pen yeah uh i'm reading the new Brene brown book uh the dare to lead and in in the very like in the introduction she talks about and it's beautiful she says one of the best ways to get things from your head to your heart is to use your hand and i was like oh that's awesome <laughs> because one of i mean yeah. when we do therapy with people the very first thing we do they come in and they're at our program for 30 to 45 days the very first thing we do is we say okay Sit down. You need to write every event from your entire life in five-year increments that has caused you physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. Mm. And you have to get up in front of the entire group, and you walk this timeline all the way through, and you get to say, zero to five, these are the things that happened to me. And these are the beliefs that I created about myself in this time period, and this is how I feel about it. Boom. Six to ten. These are the things that happened to me. This is the belief that I created about it. This is what I believed then that I know isn't true now. And we start moving through. And you can kind of see like this paradigm that's been created over time because we believe the bullshit stories that we tell ourselves because of all the bad things that have happened to us. And this self-reflection comes from writing and just taking the time to just sit and let your hand move and tell you what you believe about yourself because yeah. we don't do that enough. We don't really think about our thinking often enough. And when we start to, we change. Yeah. yeah I mean, just saying so it out loud. Or write, <laughs> like you said, write. I right. remember after Bridie died, 
that was something we had multiple people tell us. Get like people gave us journals, wow. and they're like, write it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever you're feeling like right now, it doesn't matter how angry. And I remember going to see Amy, and that mm-hmm. was one of the things she said. I want you to write, write. down. <clears throat> All of your, everything, when you're mad, angry, I want you to write it all down. And she's like, next time you come and see me, you're going to say it. And I remember the first time I said it out loud and she was like, it's not even that bad. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what's wrong with you? You can get meaner than that. And I was Uh, like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like I totally agree with you. I think writing down, saying it out loud, it's amazing. Getting it out of you. Yeah. Because it helps you realize, it kind of separates, it, it, it makes you kind of become the observer of your thoughts instead of you just becoming your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happens. You start to realize, like, I'm just a product of these stories I've been telling myself yep. my entire life. And now that I can sit down and write it, oh, now I'm just the observer and realize that, hey, you know, you think it's the end of the world when this happened. You know, like, you're 20 years ahead of that now. You're like, you know, you can talk to yourself. and Sorry. You can talk to yourself and, and say... You know, or go back in time, like, it's going to be okay, you know? And then that tell yourself that same situation with where you're at now. Like, it sucks right now. This is really hard. But mm-hmm. 10 years from now, you'll look back on this and be like, that was a great lesson. Like, some, like, something great came from that. And then you're like, okay, you know, I don't have to be a product of my stories. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be a prisoner of the stories that I create in my <laughs> I life. love that. Don't we all <laughs> wish? I wish so much. I try to tell my kids, my teenage kids, I'm like, Gosh, I, you guys, high school, no one gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> high school sucks. <laughs> like, it's great. But, I had yeah. a great high school experience. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I really did. Great friends. Great, I, we had fun. Yeah. But you leave high school. And so it's like going back when I'm like, I always think, I wish I could go back and tell my 16-year-old self, no one cares. Yeah. In 10 years, exactly. no, no one cares. cares what you did. Yeah. Just so you know, as long as you're good with yourself, yeah. no one cares. But I the know. stories you learn to believe about yourself at that age, unless you learn to they question stay with them, you. They, they, they definitely stay with you until however age you get where you like, is this really true? Should I keep believing this about me? I've always believed it. Why did I start believing it in the first place? Oh, because this thing happened. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's such a cool, cool process. So as yeah. you've gone through this, um, you, so we, we kind of stopped on the fit to fat to fit journey thing, right? And you're <laughs> going like, you gain 75 pounds and then you figure out this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> right? Because there's like this em- emotional component to it as well. Like your personal life at that point is not what it was before either, right? Like you, you've got so many things going on. And one of the things that you've kind of put out in the world through your like awesome vulnerability that you demonstrate for everybody is that you too had to go to talk to somebody to figure it all out. Yeah. How did you come to this place of like, I I'm ready to do some self-reflection. Were there events that happened? Was it just like a decision one day? Like how did you get to this point now where you're at? Because it doesn't sound like that's how you've always been. And, you know, I talk a lot about this on my podcast episode 100, which a lot of people listen to. So basically uh, for me, what it took to open up to talking about it was eventually um, hitting rock bottom. And the way I grew up, um, my perception of the way and the culture I grew up in was you don't talk about the things that you struggle with. Like you just pretend they don't happen and or you don't do them obviously you don't do them and if they do happen then you just don't talk about it because I was so ashamed and like so full of guilt about who I was and what I was doing like just being a normal human being but at the time I was like 
you're a horrible person, right? Um, and, you know, just getting very specific, you know, for me growing up in the, in the Mormon culture, my perception or the, what we were taught is, you know, for example, pornography was really, really evil, like really bad, like sexual sin is next to murder, right? And, you know, being a normal teenager here in America, I was exposed to pornography and I didn't know how to handle it because I didn't, my parents didn't really teach me anything about it. The church taught me don't look at it. So it kind of became this forbidden fruit. Yeah. So if you look at it, you're evil. Yeah. And my friends would look at it and they're like, yeah, dude, we look at it all the time. Like, you do? Like, what? Like, you know, like, I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to. So I would see it and like, I didn't know how to handle it and I had no outlet. So I was like, you know, it, it became this forbidden fruit. And I partook. And from there, it was like this vicious cycle of like, you know, uh, feeling so ashamed and so disgusted with myself. But then there it is again. And, oh, it's nice. It's exciting. I like it. But it's bad. It's evil. You're bad. You're evil. So it was full of that shame. And that kind of continued throughout my life. And, you know, my perception of the way it was in the church was like, you know, there's a punishment, you know, that goes along with sin. So I was like, I don't want my parents to find out. And I don't want you know, people to see that I'm not taking the sacrament. And so I was like, I'm just going to deal with the inside. And that's what I chose to do and hit it from everyone. And eventually caused me to hit rock bottom with, uh, you know, I ended up having an affair, which I didn't think would happen at, ever in my life. And um, it just kind of stemmed from this whole, and I wouldn't say from pornography, it stemmed from this whole uh, guilt and shame cycle of going in and out of this. Well, and, and hiding. You got used to hiding things. You got used to hiding right? things, yeah. So it's like just one more thing to hide. Well, you hit you hit it because of the shame. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. And it, it caused me to see myself as a failure. And as a failure, I would do failure-like things. Like, you know, when the, the opportunity to have an affair arose, I was like, well, I'm already a failure. Why not do this, right? So, so that was my self-talk. That was like... You know, it's the story you've always told yourself yeah. and you're just finding evidence to prove that it's true. Exactly. And so that's, that's exactly what happened. And so once I got discovered, which is weird because I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but I kind of prayed that that would happen one day because I knew I didn't have the strength to, to overcome it. Wow. So I kind of, I remember praying like just, you know, do whatever it takes to get this away from me kind of thing. That's what I was going through at the time. And now that I look back, I'm like, maybe that was an answer to my prayer of how, like, <laughs> you know, not that mm-hmm. it's not the answer you expect, you know, but like y- me hitting rock bottom was what needed to happen in order for me to eventually be open to, okay, I know I need to change. And I was willing to do it because I didn't want my marriage to be over because I knew if my marriage was over, people would look at me as a failure again. So I'm like, I will go to addiction recovery. I'll talk to the bishop. I'll do whatever it takes. And like, it's the hardest thing ever. Um to go into an addiction recovery program and, you know, um, admit that you have an addiction to pornography or whatever. Like it, it was like these humbling things that I had to go through at the time to kind of, uh, take steps in the right direction of like self healing. And, you know, the addiction recovery was good it got me to a certain point. I think what it did is it helped normalize it for me. Cause I saw these other dudes that were normal, like me, like, not some weird, creepy person that lives in their parents' basement. Like oh, because you think at- when you think pornography, at least for me growing up, I thought, oh, that's like all the the only people that look at that are like these sex crazed yeah. people or these um, <laughs> child molesters. Like honestly, yeah. that's what I was taught. Yeah. And so then it's like, yeah. So yourself, you're like, 
you, it would be nice to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one who wants to look at pornography. No, yeah. you're not. And you're not going to be the last one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that, that helped to normalize it for me. So it got me to a certain point. And then from there, what had happened was um, my ex-wife met or was introduced to a life coach that she went to. And um, before I went to life coach, she told me about this book called Loving What Is by... Um, Kate something Kate, uh, Byron Byron, Byron, Kate. Byron Kate I yeah, have it Byron I have Kate. that great book. book and so I read that and then I met with a life coach and it was the most life changing experience because no religious leader no prayer that I had 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 taught me to love myself like I just couldn't ever perceive them like that's impossible like I don't no I hate myself like I don't like myself I'm this and I that was the first moment where she taught me how to love myself and that's what I walked away with like but it's three hours of like of like, uh, what kind of crying do you, like ugly face crying, like snot coming out of your nose crying, like three hours of just like, <laughs> like couldn't even breathe or talk type of crying. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was so deep that needed to come out. And um, I was for the first time like hopeful about like moving forward. And it took hitting rock bottom. So to answer your, your question, it took me hitting rock bottom to finally be open to new things, like seeing a life coach that, helped change my perception of myself. And that's mm-hmm. where the self-healing started to begin. And then I started to read, read books by Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, and and um, Rising Strong, and uh, The Four Agreements, and um, uh, you know, You're a Badass. Uh, all these other books that just helped see myself from a different perspective. I'm like, wow, you know, I don't need to be defined by my past. And I don't need to tell myself that story or believe that story. Like, I finally love who I am despite what happened in the past. Like, I don't even look at that now as and be ashamed. I don't feel that any ounce of shame or guilt, I see it as a blessing. I really do. I think, oh, that's so awesome. Right? And I feel like that's something that so many people need. <clears throat> I loved what you said, like, and I agree, growing up religious, um, I was taught to love God. Mm-hmm. I was taught to love, you know, Jesus and my religiously, uh, yeah. no one ever taught me to love myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd never thought about that. It's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And that, that is something that needs to change. Yeah. Well, like sh- our kids need to love themselves. And the definition of shame is the false belief that you're unworthy of love and belonging. Yeah. Like that's literally how it's defined. And, and so if I live in shame, believing yeah. that I'm basically the story was I'm a failure. That's a shame belief. And yeah. if I believe that, why would I ever love myself if I'm yeah. a failure? Who could love a failure? Yeah. When in reality, I feel like a failure is probably the truth. Mm-hmm. And shame creates this false belief that you are a failure. Yeah. There's a difference between the two. Yeah. And so that's kind of the work that, that we do is we lean into and go through this pain of looking at myself is I can begin to understand maybe I'm not what I think I am and maybe yeah. my feelings are different than what I believe about myself because I can feel like a failure I can feel failure and not be a failure yeah. I can feel yeah. worthless and not be worthless those are different yeah right and and that work that you did set you on the path that you're on now and it sounds like you ended up I mean you said it was a blessing it sounded like you're grateful <laughs> that you went through that which is yeah. not something that people say yeah that's one thing I know it's kind of controversial like and and I I know it sounds weird and I remember when I'm talking to my uh, my life coach about this she's like you didn't do anything to Lynn like you didn't break her heart like like that was all a choice a perception and I'm like what are you talking about that doesn't make any sense in my mind like I did this like don't you understand <laughs> like I am a bad person I'm a horrible person like I did this and 
And it, it's just changing your perception. I know it sounds crazy, but like I am grateful for it because, you know, Lynn wouldn't be in the place where she is today and we wouldn't have the relationship we have now where I can genuinely look at her and just be truly happy for her, like where she's at. And there's no resentment. There's no hate. There's no guilt I know or shame you guys have, uh, I've, I really, I look at the two of you and I think it's, it's a really neat thing you have going. Sure. Cause I mean, I don't know, I know you better than Lynn, but mm-hmm. I've, I know Lynn okay. Yeah. And she seems genuinely happy too. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think she's grateful for it too. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask her, and she's, she talks about that in her episode 101. Yeah, I, I've listened to both of them. <laughs> and so, you guys, if you haven't listened yeah. to Fit to Fat to Fit Experience, <laughs> episode 101, awesome. You guys both did such a stuff. good job. Because yeah. yeah. 100, you explain your story really well. Yeah. And then 101, Lynn gets to explain her story. Exactly. And it's so cool because yeah. you see that, and it's kind of similar yeah. to like Kevin and I telling our stories of uh-huh. our trauma mm-hmm. because they're different. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you both went through the same thing. You both, mm-hmm. you went through this affair and divorce and everything, but you're different people. And so how it affected both of you was totally different. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I want to like get across to people is, is this is when you do, when you hurt someone, when you hurt someone, you are, you know, uh, I love the saying hurt people, hurt people. So when I look at myself as that person that had the affair is having an affair, a good thing. No, I'm not saying having affairs are good things. I'm saying you can recognize that when people are hurt, they do, they hurt themselves. So they yeah. hurt other people. Like they do hurtful things. Right. And so you can, I can look back at myself as that person, as a confused little boy almost, of like you're hurt, you're in a bad place, and you're doing these things because you're hurt. And if you could look at someone like that from those eyes, I really feel that's how you know, God or Christ or whoever you believe in or whatever you believe in, that's how we should see ourselves all the time, you know? Not as this failure, you know, you are a failure. That those things come from you know, being domesticated, growing up in the whatever culture you grew up in, you know, it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah, it's this conditioning that we receive from the big five mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. society, culture, yep, government, and academia. Those five things tell us what we should believe about ourselves and create all these requirements and these expectations of what we are supposed to be when in yeah. reality... The only person who knows who I'm supposed to be is me. Yeah. And if I can get into my heart and figure that out and really listen, I understand that. And there's so many ways to figure that out about yourself that we're told aren't even good, right? Like, yeah. We, you, you can find out who you are through meditation. You can find out who you are through nature. You can find out who you are, who you are through, you know, um, spiritual medicines, right? Yeah. Like, like one of the cool things, uh, I read this awesome article today that, um, that psilocybin mushrooms are now being allowed to be tested for the first time in the United States mm-hmm. for people who suffer from severe depression. Yep. It's <laughs> freaking amazing. Like we're having this awakening like you talk like we talked about yep. earlier that our our culture is finally opening up to this idea that like maybe we can find out more about ourselves than we've ever known if we just open ourselves up to the idea that we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, exactly. that's one of my favorite cliches is, is I can't have the answers to these questions that I have, but I do have a lot of questions and I got to keep asking them to figure out who I am. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a huge, big, long journey that we're on together. But it seems like thing we're told by the big five is to stop asking questions and put your head just down and shut mind. up and do Ooh, what you I need to that. do. 
I and know. that's what so it is. Much. But but uh, on the flip side of that is it's scary to ask ch- questions. Yeah, ask yes. questions and like what if, it's unknown. Yeah, what if this all this stuff is is untrue that I thought was true and like you have to face that reality and mm-hmm. it's scary for people. People just want to live in that safe little bubble of like. But you never you know, learn who you are. No, it's no, like don't. whatever comes from that. Yeah, there could be hard things. There can be it might be life changing things. Yeah. But at least you're learning who you are. Yeah. And that's huge. I love that you said hurt people hurt people. people. Yeah. I love that because I mm-hmm. remember when we went through everything with Brighty, I hated everybody. Yeah. I did. Because I was so hurt yeah. that I didn't know how to love other people. I was yeah. just so hurt. Yeah. Where the truth is, it's like, yeah, the more I've learned about myself, the more I'm coming into me the more I love myself, it's so much easier to love other people. 100%. <laughs> and so it's like that change. And obviously, you know, you've made that change and it's awesome. Yeah. So I, one thing I wanted to hear from you today. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I want to know a good story. A good story. I want to know a story, not because we know your story, yeah. which is awesome. Is there anybody that you've been able to help through this? Because I know you work with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Is there, aside from you and Lynn, is there anyone that you've helped? And maybe, you know, whether it's weight loss or not, doesn't matter. But because of your experience that you've yeah. actually seen it change into their life. That's a great question. Um, y- yes. Um, I, I, I don't think I'll tell who they are or anything like that. <laughs> totally There's been a few fine. people. So just really quickly, after episode 100 aired, I had a ton of people reach out to me, like a ton, uh, men and women that have been through similar situations. And that right there for me was more fulfilling than, you know, seeing people's before and after photos. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there are some specific people that went to the exact same life coach. Uh, her name's Catherine Dixon. She's here in Salt Lake city. And she, she's like, Drew, <laughs> you, when you release that episode, like her I, there's not, yeah, it's like, I don't have enough time in the day, but I've had, um, I would say probably like five to 10 people that I know, personally, uh, that have, have gone through, um, similar situations that have used the books that I've read, the, the same life coach and have totally, um, transformed their life in a different way. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's so much more fulfilling than, than a before and after photo. Um, I'm trying to think of like a specific story without saying someone's identity, <laughs> yeah, but let's just say, you know, a man that's been through the same situation as me um, went through, like read the books, went through the life coach and um, to see them look at themselves like with uh, like loving eyes finally, or like they could, they have self love and they're not afraid of vulnerability. Um, you know, even though, uh, you know, their ex spouse situation isn't the same as Lynn and I's like, they can't control the other, the other person, but at least they're in a good place with who they are. And they've let go of that, that shame that's, that's controlled their life. Um, that's that, yeah, there are, there's probably like five to 10 stories of people that I know that have been through something similar. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm grateful and I'm trying to pay it forward by helping other people and getting them to share their stories too. Tell your stories, people. <laughs> exactly. Right? That's, well, that's why I wanted to start this. That's yeah. literally. Yeah. I mean, you're saying the reason why I, wa- I wanted to do this and why I, I I came to Bethany with this thing. Like, there are so many freaking people out there that cannot get the help they need. They just can't, yeah. and they're suffering and they're hurting, and they don't need to. And they can find answers to the questions they have. 
So let's get a free resource for people so that they can hear things yeah. and meet people. And and the thing that you said when you went when you went to um, to treatment or whatever when you went mm-hmm. to the addiction recovery group, yeah. recovery group, uh, you said that you found uh, commonality. You yeah. found that you you norm it was normalized for yeah. you. And one of the things that stigma does for people is it keeps us from normalizing behaviors that are quite normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we break those stigmas and we start talking about the stuff nobody wants to talk about, the outpouring from people of our listeners, and I'm sure the outpouring of people after you opened up in your story, is always the same. I never knew. I felt super alone, and now I don't. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> what? Like, people, can we just please, like, be authentic yeah. and just own our stories and step into it and just be who we are, we would be so much more content. <laughs> I was just, I, my son, my 18 year old son, he's, I made him come home this weekend to hang yeah. out with us because <laughs> I'm not going to see him for a while. So I was yeah. like, please come home for just the weekend. And we actually went and I couldn't think of something to do, but I want to sit and talk to him. So we went to Vasa (laughs) (laughs) and we walked on the stair climbers for half an hour and just talked. Yeah. And it was so cool because he, I was telling him, he was asking me, we're just talking, kind of talking about some deep stuff like life. And I was wondering how things have affected him over the last few years. We've had so many changes in our family, you know? And one thing he said is exactly what you're saying is, and he loves he listens to this podcast. And so he, he's like, you talk about me all the time. I'm like, I know. Um, Hi, Brevin. But, yeah, shout out. but he said, he's like, you know what? Something I recognize. He's like, I don't like surface friendships. Yeah. He's like, I want real conversations and real people. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the same way. Like, I want to know you. If we're friends, I want to know you. Yeah. I want to know the good, the bad, the ugly. Because yeah. If you're always just looking perfect and every time I come to your house, it's perfectly clean and you're put together and hair done. Like really? Yeah. How, uh, how am I ever going to connect with that? Mm-hmm. So I think like saying to people, you know, tell your stories, be real, put yourself out there. Like you said, you were so vulnerable yeah. in that episode 100. You said things you've probably never told a lot of people. Yeah. And look at the outpouring that happened. I know. It's so much scarier in our heads than it is in reality. Like, we suffer mm-hmm. a thousand times more in our head than we do actually do in real life. And I think once people realize that, it, it sets them up for like, oh, it's not as scary as I thought. And maybe if I talk about this more, then it's not as scary. And then, then I start, can start to believe things that I never thought I could believe in because there's all these self, self-limiting limiting beliefs of like, don't do this. Don't rock the boat. Don't, don't say this because then this is going to happen. And you're like, wait a second. It's not happening that way, <laughs> you know? It's causing other people to share their stories and open up and, and pay it forward and, and own their stories and embrace vulnerability. And then you start to see people's relationships change, you know? Relationships are so much more meaningful instead of just talking about football and the weather all the, all the time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. like, you know, like, I want real relationships. And that's the thing is, like, you know, you look at all the studies about health, you know, you could eat the, the cleanest, you could exercise the most, the things that keep people living the longest are meaningful relationships. You know, it, it, that's, that's what this life is all about. And, you know, as you get older and wiser, you start to realize that. And you want to have real relationships, you know. And, yeah, it's good. You know, it's important to be healthy, too. But, like, that right there is the single most important thing. If you want to live a long, healthy life is meaningful relationships. So just because you have an awesome body, but you're like secluded and you're on social media all day long. Yeah. Or you hate yourself and (laughs) you're telling yourself how ugly you really are and all these crazy, 
Yeah, it's so. funny because before this, like I'll have people say to me all the time, they're like, I I love how open you are. And I'm like, oh, before this podcast, I was not <laughs> open. I exactly. was like, don't put anything on social media. Don't take that picture. Yeah. Don't show. <laughs> no, no. I don't want anyone to know anything about my life. Exactly. And I told Matt, I'm like, I'm all or nothing. So I'm like, it was no one knows anything too. Well, now you know everything about me. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. We're all better for it. And exactly. it's, but it's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Like it's been crazy for me to just share the more open I am about who I really am and what I really want in life, the happier I am yeah. and the better my relationships have become with people. And it's yeah. been really cool to watch. It's almost like the thing we talk about every single week. On our freaking podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which is connection. Connection. It's the answer. Vulnerability. <laughs> like, we say yeah. the same things every oh. week. I'm like, that's why I love There's when I ask things. someone, like, what did, how did you get like your mental health? You know, how'd you get mm. in this good place? Oh, meditation. Yeah. <laughs> like, connection, vulnerability, yeah. authenticity, empathy. Really connecting with yeah. other people. Like, not just, how are you? I'm great. Yeah. Like, bullshit. <laughs> Tell me, how, you know, like, be real. If you're having yeah. a bad day, let's talk about it. What's going on? Yeah. And I think that's where it all ties into this whole complete transformation, like we're talking about physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like you it's hard to have it's hard to have one without the other. So like, you know, you asked me like, how do you get people to, you know, focus on the physical? It's like, hey, actually focus less on the physical and then focus on these things, you know, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and the physical will take care of itself over time. Like don't just be like, ah, I gotta lose thirty pounds, otherwise I'm I'm not going to like myself or I'm going to punish myself if I don't hit that goal. You know, it's like you learn to love yourself where you're at while you're working on a better version of yourself. That's what I want to get across to people. It's like just because you have self-love doesn't mean you need you, you you need to stop exercising. And you're like, well, I love myself, so I'm going to eat this pizza. <laughs> you know, Wait, and like not that exercise. That one's okay. You can <laughs> love yourself and eat pizza. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know so who sponsors this like, podcast? <laughs> Disclaimer, pizza is great. Tennis pizza. <laughs> I mean, no, but what I'm saying is, if like, you're going to self-medicate, pizza is yeah. probably your healthiest. Choice. <laughs> <laughs> the gluten-free pizza, though, that, yes, one, that one's healthier. Um, you're saying don't eat a whole pizza by yeah, yourself, exactly. alone by yourself, in the dark alone, when you love alone, yourself. With a whole bottle of <laughs> yeah, wine. Yeah. And <laughs> do it with other people, at least. <laughs> no, but, like, even for me, like, yeah, I like, to, I like to be in shape. I like to look good, right? But it's not what it used to be where I'm obsessed about it and I don't put my value, my worth on, like, Okay, I gotta look this way, otherwise I don't I won't like myself. It's not about that anymore. It just falls in line with like I love myself, so I do want to take care of myself. I know I need to exercise hard some days, but other days I need to meditate and go for a walk, right? And that's just as good for me, you know? And so it doesn't need to be this all or nothing mentality of like, all right, if I wanna be skinny and I wanna look good, then I need to punish myself and kill myself in the gym and starve myself. Do it from a place of love. Like love yourself who you are now while you work on a better version of yourself. Like, that's totally possible. It's hard, but it's possible, I promise you. And so that's one thing I want to get across to people is like, yeah, self-love doesn't mean you just you know, give up on yourself. But the physical should not be the focus. It should not be like, okay, I only want to focus on this. Like, get these things in line first. Get your life right first, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Work, work more on working in than working out. I you like know? that. That's yep. what I tell that's people. really cool. Work in. Yeah, I I have a um, an acronym that I use for balance. It's SPIES, S P I E S. And if you can focus on these five areas of your life yeah. and 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 really create balance, it's social, physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And if you can create balance in those five areas and find a strength and use that to bolster the weaker areas, it it's yeah. super helpful. 
And you can even do like a like a self inventory, write down the S P I E S yeah. and just kind of rate yourself on where you're at in each one for this kind of self reflective piece where you can look at, well, I'm not really doing anything right now to strengthen myself emotionally yeah. or intellectually, but I am really doing well uh, socially. So maybe I can find a better way to use social to help me intellectually. Let's read a book with my friends, right? And get creative and find balance. And this becomes a huge motivator for people in creating change and self-love. And and so balance, like you're talking about, man, that, that it's it's. Oh, I talk key. about balance with my kids so key. all the time. I'm mm-hmm. like, life is all about balance. And if you figure that out, <laughs> you will succeed. Yeah. Because anytime you're... It's outweighed on one side. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Even if it's healthy eating and he- exercising all the time. Yeah. Well, you get unbalanced. Yeah. And that becomes a negative thing yeah. where it shouldn't be. It should always be positive. Yeah. Or just anything. You know, it's for for me, if I get to the point where I start to exclude myself too much because I'm reading too much or I'm doing, <laughs> that becomes a negative thing. Yeah. It's that perfect balance of having all of it. For sure. Love that. I love it, man. Dude. Love you guys. Yeah, yeah thank awesome. you so much. Yeah. That was awesome. That was way more like. I mean, I always know I'm gonna get something out of it, but I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah. And that was great. I mean, we good. didn't even talk about the ayahuasca thing, which oh, I was I like, I've been oh. listening to your podcast on those. And that which means we got to have him back on. Yeah, again. episode. Yeah, oh. go to the ayahuasca retreat together. And yes. <laughs> so bad. I want to go so we'll bad, especially after listening after to you. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. all are gonna wish you were here after this. <laughs> <laughs> the, real, the real conversation begins. I yeah, know. That's, but that you do go into that pretty deep on what. what do you I know do. which episode it is? Uh, it's uh, I don't remember which number. So it's it was three. It's like one sixty six. Yeah, one of them. And you've had like a bunch of guys since on who yeah, like so, helped you at the health and wellness place, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So I did one episode by myself of just like, hey, here's here's my experience. Here's what I did. The next three episodes will be the 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 monk that teaches breathwork, the doctor that's on site that makes sure that he makes sure that the the facility is medically licensed in Costa Rica, so they have all these protocols they got to follow. And then the last one is with the founder, and that's coming up this week. And he's like this. Normal, well, not I wouldn't say normal. He's this like kind of crazy dude who was like this Playboy millionaire, super successful but super miserable kind of guy who had this amazing plant medicine experience and was told to create this place. And so he gave up. Okay, everything. I am really that's excited so to hear cool. that. Yeah, so that's that's one of the next three episodes because I've been listening. It's right. it's been really cool because I want to do this so bad. <laughs> How and cool I'm like, is breathwork? <sighs> breathwork, you know, that was the first thing I did when I got there. It's and that so was, a spiritual, like one of the most spiritual, most profound experiences I've had, and with no medicine, just breathing. breathing. That's it's it. the coolest thing ever. I've done it a ton of times. Oh my gosh, I love it. You can yeah. find so much about yourself. Yeah, that's where yeah. some people actually had more powerful experiences from the breath work mm-hmm. than they did the medicine, yeah. which was amazing. So don't underestimate that, people. Like, that's one thing. Like, we're like, what was it? breathing, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, breathe all the time. Breathing, it's just yeah. what we do every day, all the time. <laughs> and like, it just controls our yeah, life. Exactly. It's like, wow. Yeah. You can reach a level of spirituality that is crazy that you can feel just from breathing, and it's accessible to all of us. Well, and, and psychedelics, all they're doing is changing the chemicals in your brain. Yeah. What does breathing do? That's Change breathing the chemicals in too. your brain. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and so it's creating different neuropathways and different ways of thinking that you hadn't had to before, yeah. and you're not as blocked as you were. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, whole other podcast. I know. Okay. <laughs> Way I love and go it. listen. Yeah. Go listen to Drew's. Ayahuasca experience because yeah, it's really cool. Experience. I've been listening and I love it. So, thank you, guys. thank you, Drew. That thank was awesome. Cool. Thank you.
What an awesome episode. Thank you, Drew, for coming on. We really appreciate you, man. If you guys want to follow Drew, get a hold of him or do anything fit to fat to fit. He has all sorts of really cool weight loss programs and all sorts of materials, and this guy is everywhere. It's really cool. So just look up Fit to Fat to Fit in Google, and you can find everything. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. He has an awesome social media presence. He has a book, like a hard copy book that you can get. He has weight loss programs, like I mentioned before. He also has his podcast, The Fit to Fat to Fit Experience. He has a TV show. It's been on A&E and other areas, other places. You can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, too. So be sure to check out all the Fit to Fat to Fit stuff. Great resource for you and just general wellness. As well, last week we had this awesome uh, drawing that we did for people who left five-star reviews on iTunes. Thanks to all of you who did that. The winners are Stacy Robinson, Christine Hartung. You guys won $25 to Fandango and Mark Paradise. You won $25 to Cravings Alicia's Cupcakes. Thanks for doing that and thanks for all your support, guys. Also, we are asking for more support. It's Thanksgiving. It's almost Christmas time. Brighten a Day needs your help. Brighten a Day needs as many people to donate as possible. Go to brightenaday.org. Donate whatever you can. If you want to be involved in the Brighten a Christmas um, push that we do every year, get a hold of us through the Finding Strength podcast, social media, or brightenaday.org. You can donate. You can give presence. You can suggest people who you would like to receive um, Christmas presents this year, have their Christmas brightened. If you want details on that, reach out. We can get you whatever information you need. As well, if you guys are in the Utah County, Salt Lake-ish area and you need a therapist, I can be your guy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, I do um, one-on-one coaching private therapy, counseling. I also do speaking engagements, all sorts of different stuff. I am going to be at the um, Code 4 conference in Florida. So if you guys are in Florida, I'll be out there in February, and I will also be up in Washington um, in March to speak to a bunch of first responders about post-traumatic stress disorder and all sorts of fun stuff. So kind of digging this thing national who knows maybe maybe we'll record something when we're out there super excited about it anyways we appreciate you guys we love you guys thanks for all the support have a wonderful thanksgiving be grateful for what you have and we'll see you on the next episode of finding strength (laughs) 